is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm not here with my co-host, Lee. I'm Lee, and I'm not here with my co-host, Peter. And you're joining us for a major disaster brought to you by Lee. Yeah. First one of the new batch of episodes. Can't wait. That's right. Before we do that, I'm going to do the housekeeping that you are accustomed to hear, hear me saying about words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just storming out of the gate. That's I'm going to I'm going to live with it. You know what? I'm not I'm not going to redo it. That's you know that's going to be how it is in the recording. Full transparency. <laughs> <laughs> if you're new here, welcome. We recommend that you start at the beginning, back at episode 1, cuz we'll frequently do callbacks, not inside jokes. You won't be like, "What's everyone laughing about? I feel left out." But yeah. we'll be like, "Hey, remember in episode 1 when there was a giant plague in Athens and it like wiped out most of the city?" Yeah. So then you'll be you'll be in the know. Won't be missing jokes, but you'll be in the know. I do remember that. In the know. Exactly. And at this point, that's that's a long that's a while ago. That's like over two years ago now. That's right. We've been at it feels this. like we just started. I know. It feels like we just started. That's the point. Yeah. If you get through all those episodes and you like what you heard, the best way you can help us out is to tell a friend to listen. You can also subscribe and leave a rating or review wherever you listen. Those are super, super helpful to help us get seen and have more people listen. And that's always more fun. If you want to keep up with us on social media at This Disaster Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, check out our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. You can also join our Discord there. We just had a watch party for Bloodsport this past Friday. <laughs> We're going to do another one of those real soon, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also become a patron, patreon.com slash this disaster pod. You get uh, tons of bonus content. You get discount codes for merch, such as the shirts that are up for pre-order right now on our website, shop.thisdisasterpod.com. Just go on there. It says back order. It's really a pre-order because we make them to order. So go in there, back order, quote unquote, a shirt, put in your order, and then we'll make them to order at the end of uh, June. And I should say order a few more times. Order, 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 order in the court. Order, 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 yeah. order order. Uh, and that's pretty much all I had to say. So I think I'm just going to hand it over to Lee for today's major disaster. Lee? Hey, that's me. Hi, Lee. I'm Lee. Hi. So yeah, here I am uh, doing a major. That's that's usually when that happens. It's when my Tragedy Tuesday has gotten so out of hand. <laughs> <that> I'm just <laughs> throwing in the, the towel like, oh, I think I just wrote a major. <laughs> and uh, today enough. is no different. But uh, awesome. yeah, either way, welcome. Today we're going to talk about a guy who has uh, quite a nice resume in his formative years and quite a nasty one in his latter years and uh, oh. up to his death. So we're talking oh about boy. Phil Spector, who we're talking about today. Ooh. And if you don't know about him, you're in the right place. So I actually do not. You do not. Like when I say Phil Spector, what comes to mind? The name always sounds spooky to me because I think of specters. <laughs> Like a spook, like a spooky ghost, like a spooky ghost. Uh, also, potentially the secret organization from the James Bond movies. Yeah, Spectre. Yeah, yeah. Could you name his vocation? Producer. Right. Okay. So okay. Ball. Good. There Good. you go. Nailed it. <laughs> I I know I know of what we speak exactly, but I don't know if I could name an album. I mean that. Yeah, he's not really well known for that. Okay. As much as say, you know, anyone else. I mean, well. Allow me to explain. Please do. Here we go. So, all right, Phil Spector, an extraordinarily talented individual and the overseer mm-hmm. of many hit records throughout the 60s and 70s. That said, he was also the overseer of his own doom, involved in many a disaster, <laughs> ranging from the subjective to the downright damned for all time. 
Okay. Yeah. In the spirit of this show being what it is, we'll touch on a few of those. Great. Uh, it <laughs> sounds like Phil Spector came to the right place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Spector is in the building. So Harvey Philip Spector mm-hmm. was born December 26, 1939 in the Bronx, New York. Uh, there is speculation that his parents were also first cousins. Good start. I don't know why I bring that up, but I thought it was uh, relevant. Okay, fair enough. That's I'm not, not... going to call back to it. I just thought oh, okay. it was worth mentioning. <laughs> fair enough. All right. <laughs> it might account for nothing or something. Now I don't know if you're going to call back to it or not to get me <laughs> back for misleading you about the Yellow nah. Fleet in the last episode. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah. not going to pull a Shyamalan twist on you and just, you know, <laughs> it's just, I just mention it for the sake of, fair enough. you know, information. Phil's mm. father, Benjamin, committed suicide when Phil was just 10 years old. Mm. Uh, Phil's mother moved the family to Los Angeles four years later. It was around this time that Phil started playing the guitar. Shortly thereafter, he formed his first musical group, The Teddy Bears. Death metal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Teddy Bears are three of his high school chums. In 1958, the group recorded the song, Don't Worry, My Little Pet. Okay. Rock and roll was... It was in its infancy, you know. It had a waste. Yeah, time. fair enough. They, look, they didn't know what they were doing. It was no. the 30s or 40s. They didn't know how to make music. Exactly, exactly. That was like say that was that was like Cannibal Corpse back then. Right. That was as raunchy. <laughs> Don't worry, my little bit. That was one of many songs that Phil had written for the group. So we got an early start mm-hmm. in the songwriting game. Uh, it was also around this time that Stan Ross, co-owner of Gold Star Studios in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. began to tutor Phil in record production, having a major influence on what would turn out to be Phil's studio approach. All right. So teenager, getting to know the ropes in the studio. What year was this again? That was uh, 58, I believe I said that. Yeah. Okay. So we're knocking on the 1960s door. So the Teddy Bears scored one number one hit with To Know Him Is To Love Him, a song Phil wrote based on the inscription on his father's tombstone. Okay. Okay. Write what you know. Yeah. For- <laughs> <laughs> it's about my dad. He's dead. Several other singles in an album were released, none of which came close to reaching the same success as their first dip in the pond, and they disbanded in 1959. All right. In 1960, Phil met Lester Sill, who arranged for Phil to relocate back to New York and work as an apprentice to Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Now, these guys were responsible for many of Elvis Presley's hits, okay, um, among others. So he's in good company. Mm-hmm. He and Lester would soon form the record label Phyllis Records. I'm pretty sure that's how you... But he's combining Phil mm-hmm. and Les, so Phyllis. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, files. Yeah, Files. That's <laughs> another option. <laughs> files Records in 1961. Mm-hmm. Uh, a year later, Phil purchased Lester's stock to become the sole owner of the label, as well as becoming... America's youngest label chief at the time at 21 years of age. Different time too. No, yeah. Because now you can start a record label by just saying that you have a record label. Exactly. (laughs) Just like uh, declaring bankruptcy. I You just stand up and declare bankruptcy. Exactly. I have a record label. Okay. You had a record label. You have a record label. Yeah. That's exact. That's how I know. That's how you do it. Just registered a domain and said I had a record. Boom, done. (laughs) Yep. You speak from experience. And this will mark the beginning of Phil Spector's hugely successful run as a songwriter, arranger, and producer. Between 1960 and 1966, Phil Spector was directly involved in the writing and recording of a number of chart topping hits, many of which have endured to this day. Unchained Melody, it's the song from uh, Ghost. 
when she's oh making the thing and they're the pottery the pottery yeah. the thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you've lost that love and feeling we know that oh. top gun i'll just make yeah, movie sh- reference and we can all you know we sure do visualize top that. gun great movie great i saw that i watched that movie for the first time like a year ago oh really two years ago yeah <laughs> it's something else that movie and i was so clueless about what happens in top gun Right. That someone told me, like they offhand mentioned, I think I was watching it with uh, Nuclear Norm. Right. Offhand mentioned that Goose dies. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like something that is just common knowledge. Yeah. At this Get point, it's like public domain, dies. basically. So yeah. what was your takeaway from Top Gun, having seen it for the first time in your late 30s? Pretty bitching. I liked it. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> It was very like I think I think I saw it at the right time. I liked it for very similar reasons to enjoying Stranger Things. Okay, <laughs> I, I appreciate it for how eighties it is. Yes, you know what I mean. Steeped in the eighties, just deep eighties. You want to yeah, tell yeah. you want to show somebody what the eighties was. Show them Top Gun, Kenny Loggins playing volley beach volleyball, shirtless yep. dudes smacking high yep. fives left and right. Yeah, basically carefree. <laughs> yeah, nothing to worry about. Simpler time. Get me butts. <laughs> I want some butts. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Okay, so yeah, long story short, yeah. Phil Spector wrote some hits for the Righteous Brothers. Um, our chain melody. You've lost the love yep. of feeling. Uh also mm-hmm. uh River Deep Mountain High by Ike and Tina Turner. Oh, yeah. And um probably his best known work, arguably so, would be the song Be My Baby by the Ronettes. This is the song that absolutely transfixed our good buddy Brian Wilson. Uh, when he first heard it in 1963. Oh, okay. Like this song inspired him and it yep. ruined him. <laughs> so <laughs> at first it was just oh, like... Oh, I remember that. Yeah. You, you like heard it in his car, right? No, that was the Beatles. Oh, was, yeah. Uh, Strawberry Fields. But no, this song, like yeah, right. at first it was just like the high watermark in music production. And he's like, I got to top it. I got to beat it. I got to even yeah. come close. And then when he sort of was in his reclusive years, he just yeah. was obsessed and would apparently play it over and over and over oh and over on his jukebox. Oh so um, you want to hear more about Brian Wilson, check out episode 29. There you go. Call back Brian Wilson's one. smile. Yeah. Brian Wilson's smile, infamous unreleased album. But I mean, it really is an amazing piece of music. Spoiler, oh, yeah. it's my music choice. So I'll talk about it more later. <laughs> that song, actually all the songs I mentioned just mm-hmm. now, um, all benefit from what would become Phil's trademark. It's known as the wall of sound technique. Yes. Where you okay. probably heard of you're that. Ri- you're ringing a bunch of bells for me. There so you I go. think I'm, I'm picking up who, I think I know, I think I knew, know who Phil Spector is by reputation. Exactly. Like, like his deeds <laughs> sort of precede his, the man, you know, like he's, yeah, right. yeah, he's yeah. left his mark. So the wall of sound technique is sort of, uh, instead of having, simple arrangements with maybe one or two standout instruments in a mm-hmm. piece of music. He would stack multiple instruments playing multiple parts to create this dense piece of sort of singular music. And your right. ears would be kind of hard pressed to maybe pick things out like, oh, that's the violin, yeah, that's yeah. the trumpet, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. But as a whole, it really worked. And and oftentimes he was really pushing sort of pushing the needles into the red, like you could hear this right. sort of warm distortion, but yeah, yeah, in a yeah. way that made things very exciting. At least a lot of people thought so. Mm-hmm. So he became known for that. He utilized the LA session musician contingent known as the Wrecking Crew, who I bring up a lot. In 1966, after an unsuccessful attempt to move Phyllis 
aka files records. Right. <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the uh, Pyles. Pyles. Yeah. Right. Okay. I was reading. I think right. that's how it's pronounced. Okay. Okay. So then successful move to roof. Oh, Hylas Records mm-hmm. to A mm-hmm. and M Records. Mm-hmm. Phil mm-hmm. quickly lost interest in the label as well as in the recording industry in general. All right, he just packed his shit up just, and went home. Yeah, bye bye. <laughs> uh, in '68, he married Veronica Ronnie Bennett, lead singer of the mm-hmm. Ronettes. Although he was already married at the time to his first wife Annette Merrard. Details: whom he married in '63. I'm not sure how it got resolved. Yeah, just right. Minor details, not mm-hmm. a big deal. So he married. Ronnie, he almost completely withdrew from the public eye. In 1969, Phil and Ronnie adopted their first son, Dante Philip Spector. Mm-hmm. So that sort of closes the first chapter in his life, which, you know... So far, so good. So far, so Revolutionized, good. Revolutionized uh, the sound of recording. Mm-hmm. Made some made some hits. Made some hits. Prolific guy. Owned his own record yep. label. Contributed to Top Gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't realize it at the time, but, you know... Well, yeah. It's a right. long game. Yeah, sure. Yep, mm-hmm. Okay, so his retirement, it did not last long. He came out of it oh. uh, in a big way in 1970 mm-hmm. after Alan Klein, then manager of the Beatles, brought Phil to England in hopes that he'd work on some of John Lennon's solo material. I read about that too. Okay. In the biography of... Uh, Jeff Emmerich. Jeff Emmerich. Yeah. I can never remember his name. I know. such a good book. <laughs> yeah, I, I reread <laughs> it uh, last year. So yeah. good. So he would have yeah. some stuff to say about that for sure. Yeah, check that book out. It's called Here, There, and Everywhere. It's, um, yep. Jeff Emmerich was the engineer for the Beatles, like sort of working under George Martin. and But he worked at Abbey Road when he was a teenager. Yeah. And one of his first gigs was, oh, we got some group called the Beatles or something coming in to do a demo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 book, that book opened my eyes to... Everyone keeps talking about how the Beatles revolutionized and invented so many techniques in the yeah. studio. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Okay. Did they though? <laughs> and then you read that book and you're like, yeah, things were done a very certain, like straight laced, oh, yeah. rigid way. Rules, rules, and rules. And then, you know, Jeff comes in and is like, maybe I'll put the microphone here. And everybody yeah. like clutches their pearls and oh, is like, you gone mad, boy. <laughs> so, literally what good it book. Was. Good book. So, yeah. So, uh, Phil produced John Lennon's Instant Karma, which made number three on the charts. Good mm-hmm. job. It was after this that Lennon and George Harrison invited Phil to take on the task of pouring through the extensive Let It Be session tapes and cobble together an album. Now, these sessions took place in 1968 and some of 69 before the Abbey Road sessions. So Abbey Road came out before Let It Be, right. but was recorded after. Oh, okay. yeah, they right. did let it be and they were like we don't know what to do with it like this, it was considered <laughs> dreadful oh boy although um there's a movie coming out peter jackson got hold of a lot of the film footage oh yeah from those sessions yeah because there is a let it be movie uh documentary that came out at the time and it and, and it really focuses on how they were fighting and la di da and the truth yeah. of it is not that simple they were still friends and so peter jackson's yeah. trying to like show a different side of it and he's and yeah as he does he's really cleaning up the footage so he's got a good track record of that too yeah he so did that, that uh, world war one movie exactly but yeah so the let it be sessions were not good um uh, but they were it was sort of agreed upon that there were definitely some nuggets within there that just no one wanted was up to the task of going through it we've talked about that before yes yeah, so and brian wilson smile <laughs> exactly like you just create miles and miles of tape uh here make this into something yeah 
You're that fucking would, mo- like I can barely <laughs> navigate our files and I keep them reasonably well named. Exactly. I can't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Spectre ended up giving the material his trademark treatment with heavy use of string arrangements and lots and lots of reverb. He made many decisions when it came to the arrangement of the songs, even at one mm-hmm. point in what has become a very infamous move, erasing a backup vocal to make up for a string track. Oops. I think he did it on purpose. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the kind of thing you mess with. No. (laughs) Hey, this is uh, the Beatles. So here's Paul McCartney's voice here. Ah, we don't need that. We need another violin on here is what we need. (laughs) Altering the course of history. Not in a big way, but (laughs) Jesus. The resulting album, Let It Be, Mm -hmm. was released one month after the Beatles had broken up in 1970. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It did yield a number one single in The Long and Winding Road. Mm-hmm. as well as a few other considered classic Beatles tracks, uh, Get Back, I've Got a Feeling, and of course the title track, Let It Be. However, critical reception was mixed towards Phil's treatment of the material, even within the group with Lennon defending his work while Paul was apparently infuriated by it. Because his backing vocal because got back- <laughs> I don't even know if it was his, but I'm just saying it's his because he was yeah, infuriated. Yeah. Um, and then years later, like I think in the 90s or something, that there was a version release called Let It Be Naked with mm-hmm. all his stuff gone, all the strings and everything. So it's just... Yeah, right. So you can get two versions of it if you really right. hate it. I think it's good. Phil would end up working with John Lennon and George Harrison on their respective solo work throughout the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Phil describes it as his and their most creative period ever. It's nice that he would speak on their behalf like that. <laughs> what do you say, Phil? George Harrison at least remembers things slightly differently, claiming that um, whilst he was working on his album, All Things Must Pass with Phil mm-hmm. Spector, Phil required at least 18 cherry brandies before he would lift a finger in the studio. Could he even lift a finger in the studio at that point? I know. How would you lift yourself? <laughs> <laughs> he was apparently so drunk at one point that he fell down and broke his arm. All right. Spectre eventually recused himself from the sessions for health reasons. Yeah, maybe it's the 18 brandies. <laughs> yeah. It's got it's you the feeling a little brandies. under the weather. Though he is credited as producer on the album, giving it his, you know, wall of sound treatment. Uh-huh. Is, he, is he also credited as the producer of all of the vomit on the floor of the studio? <laughs> <laughs> that is not in the liner notes, but uh, okay. <laughs> I think we can attribute that to him. It's, uh, I listened to that album for the first time, making these notes. Mm-hmm. You don't really hear his stamp on there right a lot but it doesn't really rock either there's a lot it's very folky right fair enough so i'm not sure what he would have really done anyway i mean sure some songs have that sort of strings and it's like oh that's phil specter yeah right yeah the album itself was hugely successful and highly thought of at the time and to this day it's like george harrison sort of that's is considered his high water mark so maybe phil was right oh okay (laughs) creative period ever yeah i guess it is a collaboration but ultimately it's the songs mm-hmm. so i'm gonna say it's it's harrison and he was really firing on all cylinders by then and he had like right bob dylan writing songs for him and stuff like it was it was a good time sweet home alabama there you go <laughs> nope did i get it no fuck <laughs> sweet home alabama i thought i got it you were trying to name a bob dylan song summer 69 <laughs> Damn it. Those are the two you always say. Well, in order. Eventually, 
It's it's the monkey on the typewriter thing. If I ever bring up Leonard Skinner and Brian Adams, yeah, you'll be two for it's two. somewhere in there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Bob Dylan. That's like a kind of a tough one. Like he isn't really known for. All right, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll come back. Circle around. Okay, that's not important. I just mentioned him very often. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah, thought yeah. I'd. I, I was pretty. I was fairly confident I would have nailed it and blown you away. <laughs> He continued to work with Harrison until 1972 when Phil was dismissed from the Living in the Material World sessions mm. by Harrison for his erratic behavior. That files under the same category as health reasons. Yeah, right. <laughs> Is it 19 brandies before he started Yeah, working? exactly. <laughs> I got some freaking ideas. You just need to pen the... <laughs> Excuse me. This is the thing that happens. <laughs> When you drink 18 brandies. With John Lennon, Spectre would produce 1970s Plastic Ono Band and 1971's Imagine, Hmm. both of which received high praise from fans and critics. I mean, John Lennon, Imagine. We all know that song. We sure do for the not-so-high praise it received in 2020 when all the celebrities sang it on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, that was... uh, I forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. We're all in the same boat. No, no, we're not. We're we're in the same storm. Yeah, yeah, different yeah. boats, different very boats. different boats. Some of our boats are canoes, and some of them are fucking yachts. So <laughs> yeah. go enjoy yours. <laughs> Everyone should just isolate, says Gal Gadot from her infinity pool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Having said that, she she is outstanding in both the Fast and the Furious movies, and I love her as Wonder Woman. And I love her I have as Wonder Woman. Bad to say about her. So I enjoyed her. the four hour cut of Justice League, and yep. she was amazing yep. in it. Uh, mm-hmm. although towards the end when every time that voice would sing when she came on the screen it got a little bit ridiculous <laughs> but that's it's true no it's, fault like of S- hers. it's like an SNL skit <laughs> I know, I wanna... like I wonder I wonder if there it is ah! <laughs> okay you gotta have another note working class hero jealous guy and the song imagine would be the enduring hits from those two releases they also worked together on 1972's sometime in New York City which did mm-hmm. not do well and is on my short list of album autopsy contenders. All right. Uh, I saw it crop up on a few worst album ever lists, so I did not listen to that album. I'm going to save that one. Fair (laughs) enough. Maybe if they had been more specific, it would have done better. A specific amount of time in New York City? Or even, well, see, there you go, ambiguity. I interpreted it as like some point in history in New York City, but you interpreted it as a period of time. Spending some time in New York City. Oh, you know, sometime... In New York City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Another Lennon Spectre collaboration, what has got to be with the possible exception of the Pogues fairy tale of New York, the most depressing Christmas song ever. Happy Christmas <laughs> War is over. Do you know that one? Uh-huh. Oh, Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. That one gets a hard skip every time oh, it comes on. It's 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 on every list too. I I think it's just because it's a Christmas song, it gets sort of Pass totally. Give me, give me George Michael five times in a row. Oh yeah, before that, I'll take uh, Paul McCartney simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Yeah, over that one. Yeah, like, more in the spirit of like I never understand. My wife and I will catch each other like halfway through that song, and we're both kind of bummed out, mm-hmm. and we look at each other like, why are we? Why are we listening? Christmas isn't sad. I know, <laughs> and it's certain. It certainly shouldn't be a guilt trip. No, this Christmas. What have you done? All right. I don't know. In 1973, Lennon and Spectre again collaborated on what would be an album of cover songs called Roots. With sessions booked at A&M Studios in LA, Lennon gave Spectre free reign as a producer. Great idea. 
Nope. Nope. Don't do that. I think they were probably, one was as bad as the other. Right. Like John yeah. Lennon was not a good boy either. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like the producers got to be there to rein in, not enable. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly. a personal philosophy. That's supposed to be the person. Yeah. who's talking some sense into some people. Like yeah. when you're going to, getting into hour 18 of tuning your amp. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. We should. We should hit record on something. We should do something now. Like, no, let's fucking another 18 brand. <laughs> <laughs> the atmosphere of the sessions was very much fueled by alcohol and drugs. Oh boy. With Lennon enjoying his infamous lost weekend, as it's known, as a period of short period of time when he had left Yoko Ono briefly. Okay. Any and all noteworthy musicians who happened to be in town at the time showed up at the studio in hopes of getting on the album and most did mm -hmm. <laughs> at one point phil showed up to the sessions dressed as a surgeon and apparently fired one of his handguns into the ceiling hurting john lennon's ears yeah guns are loud yeah you, you don't want to shoot you don't want to shoot those inside definitely not in a closed room no remember those little black cat little um firecrackers Yep, they're they're literally black, and you light the fuse. <laughs> I yep, got a hold yep, of yep, some yep. once, and I lit one off. This is a smart idea on my part. <laughs> in in one of the bathrooms in my parents' house, when I lived in okay. well, my house, because I lived there when I was uh -huh. a kid. Holy yep. fuck! Nothing has ever been louder. <laughs> I was not, and I just wasn't expecting it because you know you light them off outside, and they just go yeah. like pop, and it's funny, and yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't no. think that it would make a louder noise in a confined space. So many reflections. <laughs> Walls everywhere. <laughs> oh, what a dumb, 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 dumb dummy. Um, yeah. Oh, this brings me to my one and only sidebar here. It's it's okay. it's like a micro sidebar. Sweet. Phil Spector fucking loved guns. Oh, okay. So just remember that. And sidebar. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I was reading another like it was one of those things, like, a, I think it was a Reddit thread on what bugs you about TV shows, about, like, what's unrealistic about them. Uh, Number one thing, or, like, one of the top things was how, you know, police shows and stuff, people fire guns and then have, like, totally normal conversations afterwards. <laughs> that shit, screaming. like, I don't know if you've ever been to a firing range or any, like, a shooting range or anything. Right. You put in, like, earplugs into your ear and over ear protection. Yeah, And yeah. then you shoot, and it's still so Fucking loud. <laughs> Unbeknownst to John, each night Phil would take the master tapes home with him for safekeeping on the ultimately paranoid level. Okay. <laughs> seems yes. like a lot okay. of work, like clutching these yeah. giant reels to your chest as yeah. you slunk out the door. Mm -hmm. uh, until he finally simply disappeared for several months, tapes in hand. Oh, for fuck. <laughs> I knew, I knew it. I knew that's where that was you going. You saw that coming when he, when John Lennon gave him free reign as producer? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh don't leave with the tapes. Yeah. <sighs> no matter what you do. Because <laughs> someday you're just not going to come in for work. During this time, Phil made just one very cryptic call to uh, John Lennon, mm -hmm. claiming he had the John Dean tapes, which is, I didn't know this, but it's a reference to the Watergate scandal, which was... Oh, okay. Hot yeah. and fresh at the time. On March 31st, 1974, Phil was involved in a car accident which nearly killed him. Hmm. Uh, he was thrown through the windshield which resulted in serious head injuries, 300 stitches to his face and 400 to the back of his head. 300? Yeah. Latter-day Phil Spector wears these crazy wigs. Okay. Like if you, if anyone can sort of picture him like that's, and that's sort of the okay. theory is that's why he's sort of hiding a, 
oh. disfigurement. Uh, and he was in a, a coma for a period of time. So Jeez. as a result, the John Lennon Roots project and the whatever cat and mouse game he was playing with the tapes was uh, put to rest when Al Corey, mm-hmm. then head of promotion for Capitol Records, retrieved the Roots master tapes. Gimme. Gimme those back <laughs> now. That's that's enough. It would be a couple of years before Lennon resumed work on the album, which would ultimately mm-hmm. come out as rock and roll, not Roots. Okay. Uh, instead, focusing on and releasing walls and bridges in the interim. So okay. one can gather he was maybe a little soured on the project. I think it was the gun. Probably the gun, though. I think that's like the, that's probably <laughs> if, if I were to like replay things, stealing the tapes. Okay, sure. What choices have I made that I'm standing next to a man indoors firing a gun <laughs> yeah. in a recording studio? Like that's <laughs> How did we get here? That's when you ask yourself some questions. Yeah, exactly. Let's do some <laughs> stock taking. Oh, Yoko. <laughs> that's a song. So at this point, I want to rewind just a touch. And I want to catch you and everyone up on Phil Spector's personal life up until this part of the tale. We've heard about his professional doings, but, you know, what's going on behind the scenes? What's going on behind the scenes, Lee? Well, he married Ronnie Bennett in 1968. Mm -hmm. They adopted their son, Dante, the following year. Two years after that, 1971, Phil surprised Ronnie with a Christmas present of two adopted twins, Lewis and Gary. I'm sorry? Merry Christmas, baby in each arm. Uh, okay. <laughs> Puppy is already like borderline. I know. Present. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a commitment. Oh, there's two babies. <laughs> two babies surprise. Oh, like hu- human babies. Blah. Oh, Blah. how long do they live? <laughs> <laughs> do we have two cribs? No. Oh, God. You ruined Christmas. No, that's, that's when you listen to a depressing Christmas song. That's when Lennon comes in and he sets yeah. the tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's when it's more of like, a, it's Christmas. What have you done? <laughs> In her 1990 memoir, Be My Baby, mm-hmm. Ronnie Spector claims that Phil subjected her to years of psychological torment. All right. Apparently, he surrounded their mansion with barbed wire and guard dogs and even confiscated her shoes in an effort to prevent her from leaving. All of that. That'll do it. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's also, did he, uh, I don't know, get her two human babies as a Christmas present? <laughs> yeah, I think that I would can. do it too. <laughs> yeah, sounds nice. Nah, it's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah, handing the two babies over, that's the easy part. There you go. There you go. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm going to be in the studio shooting guns. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my babies. On the rare occasions that she was allowed to leave the house, it was only on the condition that she drive around with a life-size dummy of Phil in the passenger seat of their car. <laughs> For what possible purpose? <laughs> I don't really know. Just so you know, don't forget that yeah. I exist. I can't, I can't, I don't want to go anywhere with you, but just know that you're mine and that I'm God. with you always. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I don't know. Please tell me the inflatable thing was holding a gun. <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> Phil would apparently frequently threaten to kill Ronnie if she ever left him, right. often pulling his gun gun when she when he did so. And in one particularly elaborate display of insanity, mm-hmm. apparently installed a gold coffin with a glass top in their basement, promising that he would kill her and display her corpse. <sighs> 
if that was in a movie, it would be awesome. If it, since it's real life, it's fucking terrible. Yeah, I think they might be having some marriage issues, Lee. I don't know. Snows aren't the keys to a happy marriage. Jeez. Yeah, that's fucked up. Wait, we've we've talked about other coffins in basements, haven't we? Coffins in basements, or no graves in basements? There was a musician. There's a tragedy Tuesday. Who was named Jesus? No, who got named Jesus? No, that was Gigi Allen. Gigi Allen. Jesus Christ Allen. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> That's so, it. Yeah, oh, I forgot about that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've talked about we've talked about graves and basements before. <laughs> yes, with uh, Gigi Allen. Gigi Allen, aka Jesus Christ Allen. That was uh, episode eighteen and a half, Tragedy Tuesday, about Gigi Allen. Yes, walking, talking yeah. disaster. Take a bath after you're done. Cool. I still can't look at bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bananas and grapes. Ronnie did end up leaving Phil in 1972, apparently barefoot in the middle of the night with help from her mother. Mm-hmm. In their 1974 divorce settlement, Ronnie forfeited all future record earnings because Phil mm-hmm. had apparently threatened to put a hit out on her if she didn't. Nice guy. Yeah, he's great. If there was a court proceeding, I just picture mm-hmm. him giving her the whole gun to the temple silently right. at some point yeah. when someone yeah. turned their head. Seems like mm-hmm. that kind of guy. Aside from his work with various Beatles, there's three noteworthy productions Phil undertook during the 70s. Mm-hmm. The first would be a solo album by Dion DiMucci called Born to Be With You, okay. which was apparently another drunken, chaotic production that Dion himself <laughs> disowned after, upon completion, calling it funeral music. Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, The album enjoyed a resurgence starting in the 90s with the indie rock contingent championing it as a must-hear album. And I never heard it before. I checked it out for this show. It actually is quite good. You can can see why that sort of movement latched onto it. Like it is sort of in a little bit of a slow core kind of moody vein. But as far as being misunderstood at the time, it's... You can see why. Right. right. <laughs> it's very kind of yep. down and dour. Another infamous production of Phil's to take place in the 70s was Leonard Cohen's Death of a Ladies' Man. Okay. Cohen and Spectre were introduced by their mutually employed lawyer. The songwriting mm-hmm. process for the album was, according to Leonard Cohen, fruitful and featured a version of Phil who was very focused and amicable. It wasn't until they got into the studio that Phil's megalomaniacal and paranoid science came out. Mm-hmm. According to Cohen, when they were alone together, Phil was very agreeable, but the more people that showed up, the wilder he would get, and then the booze would start flowing, and then they would be surrounded by heavily armed bodyguards and lots of guns. Guns in the studio. Guns. I was going to say guns. Guns. Speaking of guns, uh, at one point, Phil apparently put a gun to Leonard Cohen's throat, cocked it, and said, I love you, Leonard, to which Cohen responded... I hope you love me, Phil. Oh my God. <laughs> Seems like something you would never forget. <laughs> I thought he was going to say, you're fired, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd say, no, you're fired. <laughs> oh yeah. No, Just that's right. It up. Wrong time. Pick, pick, pick the time. Oh, the you should have said something. Else. Yeah. Choose your words. Oh. So as he had done with John Lennon, Phil one day decided that the album was done and disappeared with master tapes. This is one move. <laughs> it's just like power move I'm like bye it's done it's done I've decided uh, much to Leonard Cohen's horror as he considered the album nowhere near done and the vocals he recorded up until that point to be guide vocals mm. rather than take Phil 
I really fucking love guns, Spectre, to task <laughs> on the transgression. Cohen simply let it go and let Spectre do with the album what he would. It was released to universal confusion at the time with Cohen <laughs> calling it a catastrophe. Years later, Cohen warmed to the album and claims to like Phil and then he'd do it again. Right. In his short memory, I guess. Did he have a gun to his head? Literally? Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I, I like Phil, I'd do it again. I go now. So good. So good. There's, <laughs> there's no gun in my throat or anything. It's so good. I've never been a Leonard Cohen fan. Like, I get it. Yeah. People love him and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. So I sort of listened to some of his earlier stuff mm -hmm. to compare it to Death of a Ladies Man, which I also listened to for this podcast. And it is fucking terrible like it's okay it was a chore to get through and weird that, and badly produced like it sounds like crap that's i've never really given him a shot to be fair i think i've heard some of his stuff and i yeah. just don't get it i don't care about lyrics or poetry so right not for me <laughs> that's yep that's fair enough but he's got some nice songs most of my lyrics are shrieked at me <laughs> <laughs> unintelligible <laughs> couldn't tell you what they're yeah. mm -hmm. uh so the third of specter's infamous late 70s productions was the Ramones fifth album uh, end of the century owing in part to the fact that at least Joey Ramone would have been hugely influenced by a lot of Spectre's 60s output when he was growing up right. as was the case with previous productions Spectre proved himself to be a gun-waving maniac at one point holding a three-hour meeting in private with singer Joey Ramone while the rest of the band were forced at gunpoint to wait until they were done uh, you could have just asked <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know so weird. Dee Dee and Johnny Ramone maintained this was true, while Marky in later years would claim this is an exaggeration and they could have left at any time. So mm -hmm. Phil Spector versus Dee Dee Ramone, like probably one or the other was waving a gun around. So it's, <laughs> there's no real reliable source there. I don't, I don't know. There's so many more guns than I expected in this episode. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about music. No guns. Talk about guns. <laughs> there's more guns to come too. Oh, good. The album received generally positive reviews, although it did not sell as well as the Ramones' previous efforts, um, which did feature a more raw punk rock sound. Mm -hmm. These songs, I mean, this it still sounds like the Ramones, but there are like strings and stuff. It's pretty cool, I think. Like it's right. a different. They had like four albums prior to that sounding like what you know the Ramones to sound like. So this was kind of a different. Right. And it's got like rock and roll high school and. Chinese rock and like, you know, right. classics. There's some classics on yeah. there. It's probably their last yep. good album, actually, or great album. Hmm. Spectre remained relatively inactive throughout the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. He attempted to work with Celine Dion at one point, but couldn't weird, see weird. eye to eye with her production team. I can't imagine why. They were all really tall. <laughs> he was short, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe it was the guns that he brought to the It movie. could have been the guns. <laughs> just came with two bandoliers around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> His last release project was producing two songs on English indie rock group Star Sailor's 2003 album Silence is Easy, including the title track. He was supposed to produce the whole album, but was fired due to personal and creative differences. So weird. Guns. Guns. It was the gun differences. It was the, yeah, the differences in... Attitudes towards firearms, <laughs> guns, and the like. So, speaking of guns. Okay. February 3rd, 2003, Phil Spector shot and killed actress Lana Clarkson. What the fuck? <laughs> Did you know about this? No. Oh, yeah. He's also a murderer. The two had apparently... Uh, this is... <laughs> This has gone off the rails. He made some classic <laughs> albums, also a murderer. I'm sorry, what was that second thing? Uh, that was a murderer. Worked with John Lennon? Is that? <laughs> yeah, he did that and he murdered someone. Sorry, what? And he, and he, and he, 
worked at the Ramones school. Oh, okay, cool. And he murdered someone. Well, I thought, sorry, what you keep saying something under your breath there is that Leonard Cohen. Okay, because I, I, as long as he didn't end anyone's life, then apparently the two had met that evening at the House of Blues in LA where Clarkson worked. Lana left the club with Phil in his limousine and accompanied him back to his house with the driver waiting outside. Mm -hmm. After about an hour, the driver heard a single gunshot. Phil exited the house through the back door with a gun claiming, I think I just killed her. The driver, Adriano D'Souza, made the 911 call that brought authorities to Phil's home. Mm -hmm. There they found Lana Clarkson slumped in a chair with a single gunshot wound to her mouth. Forensic examinations could not find Spectre's fingerprints on the gun. He would later claim that her death was an accidental suicide and that she, quote, kissed the gun. I don't know what, I don't know what that means. I think that means that he shot her. I think it means he shot her in the face. Yeah. And probably wiped his fingerprints off the gun. Yeah. That's what TV shows have taught me. Based on what I've learned about him in the last half an hour, <laughs> that sounds like a very Phil Spector thing to do. That, yeah, that does track. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. It lines right up. The only thing that would really seal the deal for me is if there was any kind of like high profile story of him holding a gun to someone's throat saying, I love you. <laughs> but I don't, you know, lacking any kind of evidence. I don't that see thing. how that's relevant to this situation at all. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what he did. So uh, Spectre remained free on $1 million bail uh, until his trial, which began March 19th, 2007. That took a Mm -hmm. while. Spectre's defense concentrated on trying to convince the jury that Clarkson's death was a suicide. At no point was Spectre's 1974 car accident, which resulted in severe head trauma, brought up. Mm -hmm. Though some some observers did make the link to traumatic brain injuries. Um, mm-hmm. especially those coupled with substance abuse, raising the odds of subsequent violent crimes. Mm-hmm. But that seems like the kind of thing that would immediately uh, elicit an objection from the defense. So so that trial ended in September 2007 in a mistrial due to a hung jury, uh, 10 mm-hmm. to 2 for conviction. Mm-hmm. During this trial, he went through three different sets of attorneys, including defense attorney Robert Shapiro during his arraignment. Oh, yeah. He was one of the lawyers who successfully defended OJ. Right. Probably thought that was... Well, I mean, the glove didn't fit, so I don't know what else is there is to say. So you got one murderer off, so that... I mean, um, uh, uh, no. Um, <laughs> the retrial began on October 20th, 2008, and finally went to deliberation on March 26, 2009. That's long. It's Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day, St. Patty's Day, and change. That's one way to put it. That's yep. a long time to be stuck in a stinking courtroom. I'll talk more about that in a future episode. Oh, will you? Little sneak preview there. Hey. Slice of my life. Nice. I wasn't the defendant. Calm Well, down. we'll see. <laughs> so 19 days later, after deliberation on April 13th, the jury came back with a verdict of guilty. Mm-hmm. On May 29th, 2009, Phil Spector was sentenced to 19 years to life for second degree murder and for use of a firearm in the commission of a crime. Mm -hmm. Numerous appeals were filed in the years that followed, all of which were denied. Mm -hmm. Phil Spector died in a prison hospital of COVID-19 related complications on January 16th, 2021. He was 81. Huh. That was pretty recent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was a COVID victim. So 
We've had some twists and turns on this podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if this quite tops a failed cremation in the desert, <laughs> but I'll just say that I didn't expect this episode to end based on how it started. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of hits in the 40s, you know? Yeah. A couple of uh, probably upbeat rock hits. Sure. Worked with the Beatles. Oh, That's yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. a bit of, bit of a quirky dude. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Killed someone. <laughs> Died in prison. Yeah. Did not, didn't see that coming. It's quite the third act. <laughs> wow. So okay. that is a real stretch as far as, you know, separate the art from the artist. Yeah. But um, people change. So maybe early <laughs> on, you can, people change. Maybe people change. He's probably a nice guy when he made the music that I like. Early on when he's working with like John, he's early on, he's quirky. He's getting drunk in the studio. Yeah. Blasting a gun know, into the ceiling. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. No, sorry, I can't defend him. That's, <laughs> that's, that's hard to, really hard to tease it's it apart. It's indefensible, but <laughs> hey, he was, he took part in the creation of some very, very well-loved and some amazing music. Maybe if Phil Spector had been caught earlier in his life, gone to prison and then come out, served his time, mm. then it might be easier to be like, okay, well, this guy was kind of a piece of shit, but he, you know, he served his time. So maybe now it's easier to enjoy his work uh, i don't know i don't know i mean he kind of did his work yeah decades went by and then he yeah committed murder I no you're right feel like there's enough space in between the two where you can well <laughs> his 60s stuff was great <laughs> fair enough yeah which leads oh me my into God. my song choice <laughs> yeah how's it you got some music <laughs> oh sure Sure, I do. Mm-hmm. Well, I mentioned it before. It's uh, Be My Baby by The Ronettes. Mm-hmm. I think this is sort of undoubtedly the song he's remembered best for. For, for being a, a simple pop song dealing with your basic topics of love and relationship, it has some real depth to it. And for me, and this probably says more about myself and my own hangups, mm-hmm. but I find it yep. to be like incredibly sad. Okay. Even though it's very upbeat. Uh, it's just the feeling I get from it. I don't know. Maybe it's sort of connecting it with sort of Brian Wilson and have, how it just destroyed him. <laughs> you know, right, right. Yeah, there's something about it. It's, there's a feeling there. But I mean, it's uh, it's a perfect example of his like wall of sound thing, and um, it's it's just great. It's great. Check it out. Right. Be my baby. Awesome. Yeah. Be my baby. Yeah. And you heard a bunch of it just now. You sure did. So uh, for my song. Yeah. It's a little bit on the nose, but I thought I'd pick something else from the era. Okay. Uh, and it's by, uh, I learned originally, uh, it was written for Cher by Sonny Bono. Okay. But uh, the version I was thinking of is by Nancy Sinatra. Oh, okay. You probably know the song, but it's Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down. I don't know that song. Really? Okay. It's from uh, 1966. It was on the Kill Bill soundtrack. Okay. It was the first time that I heard it. And you'd probably ring a bell if you heard it. Like the yeah. second you hear it. I mean, I've seen the movie a bunch, it. so it's like, oh, that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought you were going to yeah. say these boots. No, not quite. <laughs> but yeah, I just honestly, the only reason I picked it from the era and directly on the nose. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's, from, it's from the era. It's uh, a song about, about getting shot down by your baby. Probably. Yeah, I get, I probably, get the connection. Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably relevant. Probably, you know? yeah. And it's, a, it's a great tune. Also, I just really like, it's got, uh, it's very simple. It's mm. basically vocals and guitar with like heavy delay on it. Okay. Very, very cool. Oh, there's no you know, drums like or nothing? It's just a... 
Not that I, not off the top of my head. No, okay. I think it's just uh, basically like a folky sort of. I was going to say, I, I I bet you the Wrecking Crew played on it, but maybe not if it was like a. Well, maybe a, maybe just one of maybe the just crew one of them. available. One of the crew. Yeah. Glenn yeah, Campbell. The guitarsmith. The guitarsman. The guitarsman. Yeah. Plucking yeah. away. So check that out. Bang, bang, shot me down. Yeah. So that's my music. And that was a major disaster brought to you by Lee. And that was a major disaster. Majorly, yeah. I, I hope we haven't ruined Phil Spector for you. We may have. <laughs> if you enjoyed what you heard, the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell a friend to listen. And please do not do it while holding any kind of gun near them. Yeah. We don't want don't. that done in our name. Just don't. No. Just don't. No, or, that's yeah. effed up. Yeah, it's don't, most, yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. If anything, do it while you're producing their hit record. Yeah. You can do that. Do it then. Do it then. Yeah. Uh, and the next best thing you can do, if you're not already, is to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a rating or review. Those, uh, those help us get seen and get more listeners. And the more, the merrier is what I always say. You always say that. Oh, I can't stop saying it. Really. No, no. If you want to keep up with what we're doing on social media, at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, check out our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com, and our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod, where you can become a patron, get bonus content every two weeks, like micro disasters, get discount codes on merch, or like the shirts that are up on pre-order right now on shop.thisdisasterpod.com. Uh, you just go on there, click in all your stuff, quote-unquote back order a shirt, but really that's a pre-order because we make them to order. And then in June, we'll print them and ship them all out to you. I think that's pretty much all I had to say. So uh, we'll see you in our next major disaster. Yes, we will. Bye. Bye. Bye.